In John chapter 18, the, the ruler and judge of all the earth is standing on trial for his life. You think about that. The author of life on trial for his life, the judge of the world standing trial. Pontius Pilate was questioning Jesus about why the Jews would put him to death. And Jesus had been claiming that he was the Israel's promised Messiah. He was the servant of Yahweh. He was the coming one. He was the son of David. He was the rightful king over God's covenant people. And those claims were an existential threat to the authority of the rulers of Israel. And so those religious leaders painted Jesus as a subversive rival, a treasonous challenger to the authority of Caesar. And in so doing, they manipulated the Romans into putting him to death. And so he stood trial, and Pilate asked Jesus if he really did consider himself to be a king. And Jesus responded with the remarkable declaration of John eighteen thirty-seven. You say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate heard Jesus' emphasis on the truth, and he responded with a question. Perhaps he was asking rhetorically or dismissively, but he was certainly asking incredulously, John 18, 38, what is truth? It may not be an exaggeration to say that no one has ever asked a more fundamental question than that. What is truth? In every era of human history, people have wrestled with the nature of the truth, and rightly so, necessarily so. The truth speaks not merely of that which is true, but of the standard itself by which all claims are measured. The concept of truth is absolutely foundational to the concept of knowledge itself. What we know, as well as how we know what we know, depends on our understanding of the nature of the truth. Truth is what distinguishes the genuine from the counterfeit. Is this a true $100 bill or is it a fake? It's what separates fact from fiction. Is this a true story or is it just a myth? It's what separates reality from fantasy. Is this truly happening or am I dreaming or something? It even separates the moral from the immoral. Is this the truth or is it a lie? In Pastor John's book, The Truth War, he writes, Every idea we have, every relationship we cultivate, Every belief we cherish, every fact we know, every argument we make, every conversation we engage in, and every thought we think presupposes that there is such a thing as truth. The idea is an essential concept without which the human mind could not function. And yet, as fundamental as the truth is to every aspect of human thought, 
There has been historically and there is today widespread confusion regarding the very notion of truth itself. Three different approaches to the concept of truth characterize three broad epochs of history. In the era of pre-modernism, which spans from the beginning of civilization through to the mid-17th century, it was generally accepted that truth could be known and that any truth that was known was given by divine revelation, whether from the true God of the Bible or any combination of false deities from the pantheons of the pagans, pre-modern peoples believed that only a being with knowledge that transcended human limitations could reliably reveal objective truth to mankind. The era of modernism which runs from around 1685 to 1989, was spawned by the so-called enlightenment of the 16th and 17th centuries. There were great strides being made in scientific discovery and man's understanding of the natural world. And the result was that mankind became overly impressed with his own intellect. Philosophical advances caused thinkers to become skeptical of religious claims skeptical of the reliability of the scriptures, skeptical of even the very existence of God. Reason replaced religion, and philosophical rationalism demanded the rejection of claims that couldn't be squared with the reasoning of modernity. The test of truth became whether it was rational, whether it made sense, which is a good canon as far as it goes, the problem is, when it's divorced from the Bible and subjected to the natural fallen human mind, it leaves no room for the supernatural claims of the Gospels. A virgin-born, miracle-working, prophecy-fulfilling Savior who bore the sins of his people by death and rose bodily on the third day simply could not surmount the bar of naturalist rationalism. And then into the 19th century, further scientific advancements along with the Industrial Revolution gave birth to positivism, a form of empiricism that held that truth could be known through the scientific method. If we design well-run experiments, if we make the proper observations and inferences on the basis of the data, well, then we can know what's true. In short... Modernism held that man was able to discern truth for himself through what he could observe with his senses and through what he could understand by his reasoning. But the 19th century's unbounded optimism in mankind's limitless potential was followed by the bloodiest century in the history of the world. Two world wars the consistent threat of nuclear destruction, and the emergence of several dictators throughout the world provided a more realistic view of human nature. All the philosophical and scientific advances of the Enlightenment, all of the innovation of the Industrial Revolution only led to devastation and suffering. And with the fall of the Soviet Union, typified by the tearing down of the Berlin Wall in November 1989, the modernist era gave way to what has been called postmodernism. So pre-modernism held that truth could be known by divine revelation. Modernism held that truth could be known by the rigorous testing of the natural world and making rational deductions. But postmodernism is doubtful that 
absolute truth can be known at all. Now, certain versions of postmodern thought allow for the existence of objective truth, but they rather dogmatically reject the notion that human beings can arrive at such truth with certainty. They're quite certain that no one can be certain of anything. Sure, there may be truth out there somewhere, but it's far beyond our ability to comprehend. Well, then there's another stripe of postmodernism that's become increasingly popular, which asserts, again, rather certainly, that absolute truth does not exist at all, and that all truth claims basically boil down to mere opinions. And in these days of critical theory and cultural Marxism, it's become common to say that anyone making claims that they're speaking the truth amounts to persons from privileged groups aiming to impose their opinions and preferences upon marginalized groups so that the privileged oppressor classes can preserve their own power and influence over the oppressed. Illustrations of the postmodernist rejection of truth are ever-present. Some of you are familiar with Todd Friel and Wretched Radio. A couple of years ago, they produced a video series, an apologetics video series called Road Trip to Truth. They traveled to local university campuses and interviewed college students about their views on truth, morality, and authority. And then they invited Christian professors and theologians to offer biblical responses to the students' claims. It makes for a great small group Bible study, especially for middle and high school students. And though they asked these students questions on a variety of topics, there is one question they asked everyone whether they believed that absolute objective truth exists. And almost every one of them said no. You may have your truth, but I have my truth. And if my truth contradicts your truth, how could either of us be so arrogant and oppressive to claim that one of us must subject our truth to the other person's truth? Those of you who have any unbelieving friends under the age of 50 have probably heard something like that recently. One young man who was interviewed even said, quote, anything can be true, even a lie, if enough people believe in it. Now that is not consistent with reality, but it is consistent with postmodernism's rejection of the truth. And of course, that is to say that postmodernism is not consistent with reality. If there is no objective standard by which we can measure truth claims, both morality and reality descend into pure subjectivism, and the result is absurdity. For example, if we can't say that there is an objective standard by which to judge an action to be truly good or evil, then morality is its, itself is denigrated into nothing more than competing personal preferences. It's popular today for people to say that morality is subjective and socially constructed. Certain societies sort of socially contract in an agreement upon certain things that are virtues and other things that are vices. And, but what falls into each category uh, differs from culture to culture and from time to time, period to period. But if that were true, if morality were subjective and socially constructed, by what consistent standard could we condemn the evils of chattel slavery 
of the Holocaust, of race-based segregation. Were not the societies of antebellum America, Nazi Germany, or of the Jim Crow South living their truth? If truth were nothing other than a social contract whereby members of a particular society simply decide to live as if certain values are right and other values are wrong, who are we to tell the Nazis that their culture was wrong? Wouldn't that just be us arrogantly trying to force our worldview and moral standards upon others? If there were no such thing as absolute truth, we couldn't consistently say it is absolutely true that it is always wrong to kidnap people and enslave them as if they were property. No, the most that a consistent postmodernist could say is I find race-based chattel slavery to be unpleasant and I don't think it should be allowed. But I can't say that it's always wrong in all cultures. It could be morally right if enough people agree that it is. And some of those students in that video series on those college campuses said that very thing. Well, I guess the Nazis' culture agreed on it. No clear-thinking person would ever dream of saying such a thing. It is absolutely true that slavery, the Holocaust, and segregation were moral evils for every society, no matter what the majority agreed upon. But you see, when a consistent application of your worldview prohibits you from denouncing such obvious wrongdoing as objectively evil, your worldview has been proven wrong. It can't account for reality. And that's where I go next. The postmodern theory of truth not only up upends morality, it also undoes reality itself. Matters of fact are reduced to mere opinions. Well, sure, you believe the Bible, but I believe the Quran, or I believe the Talmud, or I believe the Bhagavad Gita. Well, yes, I understand that we believe different things, but it doesn't matter what we believe. It matters whether what we believe is true. Well, but we can both be right. Well, no, we can't both be right because we're making mutually exclusive truth claims. And if mutually exclusive truth claims could both be right, we would transgress a fundamental axiom of all rational thought, the law of non-contradiction, which states that a truth claim, call it A, and the negation of that truth claim, call it not A, cannot both be true at the same time and in the same relationship. The law of non-contradiction is that A and not A cannot both be true at the same time and in the same relationship. And if that is not a sound principle of thought, we lose all rational basis for knowledge and nothing means anything. If you are listening to this sermon and you are not listening to this sermon can both be true at the same time and in the same sense, there is no consistent logical basis for either statement. If the statement, even a lie can be true, is true, then that statement can be a lie and there's no reason to believe it. You see, thought and communication are rendered impossible 
The claim, there is no absolute truth, is itself an absolute statement. There is as much rational basis for using words to say there's no such thing as words. Saying it proves that it's false. My favorite question to ask those who say there is no absolute truth is, is it absolutely true that there is no absolute truth? You see, because if it is absolutely true that there is no absolute truth, then there is absolute truth. And if it's not absolutely true that there's no absolute truth, then there is absolute truth, right? If the claim is true, it's false. Now, of course, not everyone who makes these self-defeating arguments openly embraces the absurd conclusions that necessarily follow from them. The point is simply that when a consistent application of your worldview leads you into the absurd denial of reality such that you are making claims which, if true, are false, it's a surefire indication that your worldview has failed. And that's where our society lives right now. The choice has always been the triune God of the Bible or absurdity. And our culture has long ago rejected the triune God of the Bible and they are coming down to the end of the slide of absurdity. The the consistent outworkings of that rejection of God was the choice of the absurd. And they didn't take it on immediately. It eroded after a long time. But here we are at the end of the drain pipe. And at the present time, there is no greater popular level illustration of postmodernism's descent into absurdity than the transgender movement. There is no more brazen denial of reality than to suggest that a man can be a woman if he feels like it. Not long ago, the notion of a pregnant man was comedic fantasy. Danny DeVito and Arnold Schwarzenegger made a movie about it in 1994. It was called Juniors. Schwarzenegger gets pregnant. Everybody understood. It was make-believe. Ha ha, that's really interesting. You know, like Santa Claus. Today, not even 30 years later, if you deny that men can get pregnant, you're a transphobic bigot who should be banished from the public square, who should lose your job and not be welcomed into polite society. When the newest Supreme Court Justice, Gitanji Brown Jackson, was being interviewed for the position by Congress, she was asked whether she could give a definition of the term woman. And she said she couldn't because she was not a biologist. Well, what is that but the consistent application of a denial of the absolute truths of basic biology? In fact, in a recent documentary called What is a Woman?, A conservative commentator interviews several people who have embraced transgender ideology, seeking an answer to that very question. Well, if you can just be a woman if you feel like it, what is a woman then? During one interview with a gender gender studies professor, he says he wants to, quote, get to the truth. The professor responds, I'm really uncomfortable with that language. It sounds deeply transphobic to me. And then he threatens to stop the interview and he says, you keep invoking the word truth, which is condescending and rude. Now you see, truth is inimical to those who wish to embrace absurdity and deny reality. 
and they recognize it. But it's not the case that truth is transphobic. It's that trans is truthphobic. And why is our society so eager to embrace transgenderism? You ever ask yourself that question? It's not as if there's a huge transgender constituency in the United States. The entire LGBTQ population in America is still estimated only to be a little over 7%. Why is the transgender cause part of the Democratic Party platform when it embraces something like 1% to 2% of all Americans? Our society is so eager to embrace transgenderism because it is so eager to deny the absolute truth and objective standard of morality that are incompatible with transgenderism, that relegate it to the realm of the delusional and condemn it as immoral. Now, why would that be? Paul writes in Romans 1.18 that God's wrath is revealed from heaven against sinners who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. See, the truth has been sufficiently revealed to mankind. Romans 1.19, God made it evident to them. Romans 1.20, his attributes have been clearly seen through creation so that men are without excuse. And if they were to admit that there is an objective standard of truth, they would be forced to admit that every one of us is accountable to the God of truth whose law condemns them for their own sins, whatever they may be, even if they're not transgenderism. And so what do they do? They suppress the truth of the very existence of truth. If there's an absolute standard by which transgender perversion is judged to be immoral, Well, then there's an absolute standard by which my perversion is judged to be immoral. I'm accountable to the God whose law sets the standard. No, 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 that can't be. Sure, men can be women, anything, so long as I can sin in peace without the pangs of a conscience informed by the word of God. Jesus explains this phenomenon in John 3, 19 to 21. He says, this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men loved the darkness rather than the light. Why? For their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. People reject the truth, both that which is true and the standard of truth itself, not for intellectual reasons. We've seen that it's intellectually bankrupt to do such a thing. They do it for moral reasons. Pastor John says also in the truth war, sinners love their sin, so they flee from the light, denying that it even exists. Now, straight talk like this is no longer tolerated. The culture that castigates you for not tolerating drag queen story hour simply will not tolerate being told the truth. It is derided as unloving, and anything that is unloving is violently opposed to the ethic of Jesus, who preached that love was to be his followers' cardinal virtue. Love is love, they shouted us rather unlovingly. 
Well, yes, love is love. But love, 1 Corinthians 13, 6, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It rejoices with the truth, which means that a culture that revels in unrighteousness and rejects even the existence of truth can have absolutely no idea what love is. None. Love and truth are inextricably bound together. They are bound inextricably in the nature of God himself. Exodus 34, 6, Yahweh God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth. They are bound inextricably as the sustenance of the worshiper of God. Psalm 40, verse 11, you, O Yahweh, will not withhold your compassion from me. Your loving kindness and your truth will continually preserve me. They are bound inextricably in the Christian's life of conformity to Christ's likeness. Ephesians 4, 15, but speaking the truth in love. Literally, the phrase is, but truthing in love. We are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. They are bound inextricably as the sphere in which the Christian life exists. Second John verse three, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. You can't separate love from truth. In any society that rejects the truth will inevitably find itself not only unloving, but in chaos. And one telltale sign of such chaos is celebrating hatred as if it were love by calling evil good and good evil. Homosexuality and transgenderism are soul-destroying perversions if they are not repudiated, they end in eternal punishment. Affirming, celebrating, or even refusing to warn against such sins is evidence of the most malicious kind of hatred, not love. It is not love to see someone careening toward a cliff and because they're having the time of their lives in that car on the way to that cliff saying, oh, I wouldn't want to interrupt their fun. That's a level of apathy that deserves only the name hatred. That's self-love that refuses to incur the ire of sinners because well, we don't want them to be mad at us for telling them what it is that they're doing is wrong. We love like Jesus loves when we warn of sin's mortal danger and proclaim the gospel of truth by which sinners can be rescued. And so I say to you, don't be deterred from issuing those warnings and proclaiming the gospel because of accusations that you're just full of hate. That's a tired old canard that the world uses. Don't be worried about it. Don't be susceptible to it. Don't be shocked by it. And Steinman, oh, I don't want to be hateful. I want to be loving. They don't understand love, so I got to stop. No, it should be no surprise to us that a culture that has no idea what love is also has no idea what hate is and sees the loving act of truth-telling as hatred. I'm not saying you should be a jerk. 
I'm not saying you should speak the truth in hate. (laughs) I'm saying you should speak the truth in love. But when you reject the truth, you accuse as hateful those who would dare disturb your delusion. So what do we do with all that? We live in this world that is under God's judgment to such a degree that they've been given over to a reprobate mind, a mind that doesn't function, to such a degree that they've embraced the failed worldview of postmodernism and have denied reality and descended into absurdity. So what? Well, dear people, it's not enough to diagnose the problem. It's not enough to accurately discern it. It's not enough to lament it and decry it or to mock it, though it deserves mockery, and then long wistfully and nostalgically for the good old days. And yet neither is the proper course to coddle postmodernism's uneasiness with truth by toning down the definitive right-angled claims of the biblical worldview by trying to compromise in order to contextualize the gospel into a culture that has set itself against the very fundamentals of knowledge and rational thought. No, the proper response is not to compromise with the culture, nor to retreat from the culture. The proper response is to boldly confront the culture by unashamedly proclaiming the truth of biblical Christianity. We are here in 2023, friends, to be the salt of the earth. We are here to be that preserving and seasoning influence upon a world that is rotting and decaying. We are here in 2023 to be the light of the world. We are to shine forth the light of the truth into a world that is lost in darkness. Salt that isn't salty is useless, Jesus says. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. We need to be equipped to engage these errors with the word of the living God. And as so as we stand at the beginning of a new year, let us resolve to be salt and light to this dying culture by graciously and yet boldly confronting its lies with the truth of Christ and Him crucified. And that starts by considering how supremely central the concept of truth is for the Christian worldview, especially against the backdrop of a society that has rejected truth altogether. Not just that which is true, but has rejected the standard of truth, the concept that there could be a standard of truth altogether. And so in an effort to equip us to do that, with the time we have left, I want to consider five pillars of the truth of the Christian worldview. Five pillars of the truth of the Christian worldview so that we might be able to sound forth to the world a clear answer to Pilate's question. What is truth? Well, first consider the value of truth. The value of truth. So far from finding the concept of truth to be offensive or rude or condescending, Absolute truth is essential to the Christian worldview. Christians regard the truth as inestimably valuable. What is truth? It's inestimably valuable. In Proverbs 23, 23, one that you should 
memorize. It's not hard. The sage exhorts those who would gain wisdom to buy truth and do not sell it. Buy truth and do not sell it. Christians regard truth to be such a precious treasure that we are to exhaust all lawful means to lay hold of it. And once we've got it, we are to never let it go. By nature, all mankind is born in captivity, enslaved to sin and doomed to reap its deadly consequences. But in John 8, 31 and 32, Jesus says that it is the truth that will free us from the bondage of sin and death. Jesus says, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Without the truth, we lay helpless in our slavery. Just several verses later in John 8, 44, Jesus says that the truth stands in mortal conflict with Satan. The devil does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So lies are satanic, evil, and wicked. Truth, by contrast, stands against such wickedness. The teams are clear, aren't they? Satan and lies on this side God and truth on this side. When you hear criticisms of the truth as a concept, guess which team that's coming from? As a result, then, to stand against the truth is to court the wrath and indignation of God. In Romans 2, Paul speaks of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each person according to his deeds. He writes in Romans 2.8 that those who do not obey the truth will receive a judgment of wrath and indignation. In 2 Thessalonians 2.10, Paul characterizes followers of Jesus as those who have received the love of the truth so as to be saved. So if you are going to be saved from sin and the judgment to come, you must be one who loves the truth. And then similar to the comments in Romans 2, he says those who don't love the truth will perish under the judgment of God. So essential is the truth of the Christian worldview that Christ himself summarizes the entire purpose of his incarnation and mission from heaven in terms of the truth. It was the verse that we began with this morning, John 18, 37. He says to Pilate, for this I have been born, for this I have come into the world to testify of the truth. And then he follows it up by saying, everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Now, who hears the shepherd's voice? John 10, those sheep who were given to him by the Father, out of whose hand no one can snatch them. The elect hear his voice. And so here is another instance in which the people of God are defined as those who are of the truth. 2 Corinthians 13, 8, truly a text for our times, printed on a shirt, you know, I would say tattoo it on your forehead, but I don't mean that. Paul says of true believers that we can do nothing against the truth, but only for the truth. That, that's your motto, Christian. We can do nothing against the truth, 
but only for the truth. Why, why can't you just call him the name that he wants to be called? Why can't you just use the pronouns that he prefers to be called by? Because we can do nothing against the truth, but only for the truth. And that serves his delusion. That serves calling him a name that's female when he's really male, calling him by pronouns that are female when he's really male is, a, is acting against the truth. And in 1 Timothy 3.15, Paul says the church itself, the church, the body of Christ is the pillar and support of the truth. So just this brief survey of verses demonstrates that it is impossible to exaggerate the centrality of the concept of truth with respect to Christianity. From these passages, we can reasonably conclude that Jesus and the apostles saw the truth as identical to Christianity itself. But more than the system of Christianity or the Christian worldview, Scripture goes on to identify the truth with the nature of God himself. Brings us to a second point. Not only the value of truth, but number two, the God of truth. The God of truth. In Psalm 31.5, David prays to God for rescue from his persecutors and he writes, Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have ransomed me, O Yahweh, God of truth. Isaiah repeats that title for God in the latter portion of his prophecy, Isaiah 65, 16. He who is blessed in the earth will be blessed by the God of truth. And he who swears in the earth will swear by the God of truth. This is who God is. And so those who are uneasy about the concept of truth are uneasy about God. There is no middle ground. There is no way to be antagonistic to the idea of truth while not also being antagonistic to the very God who created you of the universe. And I put it simply, if you don't like truth, you don't like God. And there's no pretending that the one is so and the other is not. Further than that, since God is a trinity, since the Bible since the God the Bible reveals is one God subsisting in three co-equal, consubstantial, and co-eternal persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Scripture identifies each person of the Trinity with the, with the truth. So in John chapter 7, verse 28, and John chapter 8, verse 26, Jesus speaks of the Father when he proclaims to the crowds, He who sent me is true. In John 17, 3, the Son addresses the Father as the only true God. And because he's the God of truth, he speaks only what is true. He's perfectly faithful. As Hebrews 6, 18 says, it is impossible for God to lie. Then in the case of the Son, the Apostle John in chapter 1 and verse 14 of his gospel says that the incarnation of the Son reveals the glory of God. And when that glory is seen with the eyes of faith, we behold him full of grace and truth. And so he says again in verse 17, grace and truth are said to have come or to have been realized through Jesus Christ. The law came through Moses. Grace and truth have been realized through Jesus Christ. 
See, because God is the God of truth and because Jesus is fully God and the exact representation of his father's nature, the coming of Jesus is the coming of the truth itself. He is truth incarnate as he himself claims to be. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth and the life and no one comes to the father but through me. Ephesians 4, 21 says that truth is in Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 11.10, Paul speaks of the truth of Christ, as if to say Christ possesses the truth. But it's more than that. It's more that truth is in him and that he ha- there is truth of him. Jesus is the truth. And then the same is said about the Holy Spirit, who eternally proceeds from the Father and the Son, and who works inseparably, as the executor of the Father's plans and the applier of the Son's accomplishments. He is the Spirit of truth, John 14, 17, and John 15, 26. John 16, 13 says, but when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. Why? Because he'll speak the very words of Christ, who is the truth. And because the Spirit fully subsists in the identically, identical divine nature, as does the Son, who is the truth, what the Apostle John says in 1 John 5, 6, that the Spirit is the truth. What is truth then? In short, the triune God is the truth. Speaking metaphysically, Yahweh is the one true God, the only genuine God that exists as opposed to all the counterfeit deities of the pagan nations, right? The Thessalonians turned from God to, to God from idols to serve a living and true God, 1 Thessalonians 1.9. Psalm 96.5, all the gods of the peoples are idols, but Yahweh made the heavens. Or speaking logically, the God of the Bible is incapable of erring or being mistaken, or being misled, because his understanding is infinite, Psalm 147, 5. And he knows all things as they actually are. And then not just metaphysically and logically, but speaking ethically, the triune God is opposed to all lies, all deceit, all duplicity. He is, Titus 1, 2, the God who cannot lie who is perfectly and unfailingly faithful, whose faithfulness reaches to the skies. Psalm 36, 5. The Dutch Reformed theologian Herman Bavink wrote, God is the truth in its absolute fullness. He, therefore, is the primary, the original truth, the source of all truth, the truth in all truth. What is truth? Truth is that which is consistent with the mind of the triune God of truth. And the culture is in chaos because its people have rejected this God from being king over them. And they have exalted themselves to be Lord in his place. They have exchanged the truth of God for a lie and have worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And God has graciously revealed his mind to mankind through his inerrant scriptures, the 66 books of the Old and New Testaments. That brings us thirdly to the word of truth, 
to the word of truth, because God is the God of truth who cannot lie. His words, which he has breathed forth into the pages of the Bible by the agency of human authors, are pure and unalloyed truth. In 2 Samuel 7, after God gives the Davidic covenant promise, David responds to that revelation by declaring in 2 Samuel 7:28, Now, O Lord Yahweh, you are God and your words are truth. Proverbs 30, verse 5 says, Every word of God proves true. Everyone individually. And then Psalm 119, 160 says, The sum of your word is truth. So both individually and collectively, everyone and the sum between those two, we must confess what Jesus says to the Father in John 17, 17. Your word is truth. Not merely true, as if, there, as if the content of the Scriptures happens to cohere with an external standard of truth. No, as an expression of God's own nature and mind, God's word is truth itself, the very standard by which all truth claims are to be measured. It is, as 2 Timothy 2.15 says, the word of truth, which is to be accurately handled by the servants of God who labor in preaching and teaching. And so if anyone desires to know the truth, they must measure every truth claim against the teaching of the inerrant scriptures, of the Bible, of the 66 books of the Old and New Testaments. What is truth? Truth is that which is consistent with the word of God, which is revealed in the inerrant and sufficient scriptures. And the culture is in chaos because it has rejected God's unchanging word and has exalted in its place man's own twisted reasoning and fluctuating feelings. And what is the message of those scriptures? That brings us number four, to the gospel of truth. The gospel of truth. The Bible is the word of truth, but the central message communicated to mankind in the Bible is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news of the forgiveness of sins through faith alone in Christ alone, apart from any works. It is the message that although, although all people have sinned and fall short of the glorious standard of perfection that a holy God demands for fellowship with him, nevertheless, God the Son took upon himself a human nature so that he could live and die in the place of a people that his father had given him to accomplish their righteousness and pay for their sins. And then, having risen from the dead in victory, he welcomes all to lay hold of that forgiveness through repentant faith in him alone. And I say to you who are here this morning, who yet remain strangers to the grace of Christ, today is the day to turn away from your sins to turn away from the absurdity and fruitlessness of a failed worldview and to trust with your whole heart in the blood and righteousness of Jesus Christ for rescue from the just judgment of God. Repent and trust in Christ and be saved this morning. This message, this gospel of your salvation is called in Ephesians 1.13 the message of the truth. 
In Psalm 69, 13, David speaks of the, quote, saving truth of God. In Galatians chapter 2, Paul speaks twice of the truth of the gospel. And in Colossians 1, 5, and 6, he says the gospel is that word of truth that bears fruit throughout the world. James 1, 18, James says that same word of truth, the gospel, is what brings sinners forth out of death into spiritual life. Now, this gospel of truth is exclusive. The apostles declare in Acts 4.12 that there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. And this makes sense with what we saw in John 14.6. Jesus says he is the truth, the truth, and no one comes to the Father but by him. And that means that every other proposed way to God, every other religion, philosophy, or way of life in the history of the world stands opposed to the truth. Christ alone is the door of the sheep. All others are what? Thieves and robbers. What is truth? Truth is that which is consistent with the gospel of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. And the culture is in chaos because it has rejected this wonderful news. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than the light because their deeds are evil. Now, to say that the truth is what uh, corresponds to the mind of God is to say that truth is that which corresponds to reality. This is because God, who possesses all knowledge and perfect wisdom, can only know that which is really so. He can't be mistaken. Reality itself is a result of God's universal decree, whereby he has ordained whatsoever comes to pass. And so God can never be deceived. He can never be mistaken. He can never be misled. And so his mind is identical to reality as it is. That brings us, number five, to the reality of truth. The reality of truth. It means truth is that which corresponds to reality. Nothing can be true that manifestly contradicts what is real. This is actually called the correspondence theory of truth. And while no text of Scripture explicitly says the people of God subscribe to the correspondence theory of truth, it nevertheless presupposes the correspondence theory of truth on every page. For example, Proverbs twelve seventeen states, He who speaks truth tells what is right, but a false witness deceit. What does it mean for a false witness to speak deceitfully? It means he testifies to a version of events which does not comport with reality. He, he claims that words were spoken that weren't spoken or events took place which did not take place. His testimony does not correspond with reality. And so it is not the truth. By contrast, the witness who speaks the truth tells what is right, which means what? It means that he reports words and events as they actually happened. His testimony of the truth corresponds with reality. Another example comes from Paul's testimony to Festus in Acts 26. 
as Paul testified to the suffering and resurrection of Christ as predicted in the Old Testament scriptures, Festus accuses Paul of being insane. Acts 26, 24, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you mad. But Paul responds, I am not out of my mind, but I utter words of sober truth. See, a man who's, a man who's out of his mind mistakes fantasy for reality. He believes things that are not so. But the truth is sharply contrasted with such falsehood and fantasy. The truth is sober. The truth is consistent with reality as it is. In a similar fashion, Titus 1.14 says, those who turn away from the truth pay attention to myths and commandments of men. This means that the truth is neither man-made nor mythical. It is divine, and thus it is in accordance with reality as God has made it. And all throughout Scripture, we observe a consistent contrast between the truth and lies. Jeremiah 9, 3, lies and not truth prevail in the land. Romans 1, 25, they, they exchange the truth of God for a lie. Romans 9, 1, I am telling the truth in Christ. I am not lying. Ephesians 4, 25, laying aside falsehood, speak truth. 1 John 1, 6, if we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. 1 John 4, 6, by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. It is plain that the biblical authors presuppose the correspondence theory of truth. Contrary then to the claim that anything can be true, even a lie if enough people believe it, the Word of God declares emphatically, 1 John 2.21, that no lie is of the truth. Truth is not variable from person to person or society to society because reality is not variable from person to person or society to society. We all inhabit the same world under the same God who governs providence by the same inviolable, inviolable laws of nature and logic. If someone doesn't believe in the law of gravity and jumps from a five-story building, the effects of gravity will not be suspended because no gravity is my truth. Gravity exists. It is reality, no matter who believes in it. The truth is the same. God is God, and we are not. His moral law, as revealed in the Bible, is the rule of our lives. If we disobey, we are liable to his judgment. The only way of escape is faith in Jesus Christ. Someone might not believe those facts, but the truth is true no matter who believes it or rejects it. What is truth? Truth is that which corresponds to reality. And the culture is in chaos because it has rejected reality and exchanged it for subjectivist fantasy and self-determination. And the fruit of such a failed, rebellious worldview is the chaos that we see all around us in which people self-identify as cats. There was a story about a, a school who wouldn't put out litter boxes in their, in their school for the students that self-identify as cats. A world in which Supreme Court justices, lifetime appointed rulers of the land, 
can't define what a woman is. And in which math professors, I think this was at Rutgers University, which is where I graduated from, in which math professors, who, I, who always were a weird bunch, I never got <laughs> the math professors, but this takes it to another level. Math professors say that insisting that two plus two equals four, quote, reeks of white supremacist patriarchy. <laughs> Our culture has exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And God has thus given us over to the unbounded lust and impurity that we see in Romans 1.24, to the homosexual perversion that we see in Romans 1.26 and 27, and to a depraved mind that embraces the absurd, Romans 1.28. But if our society has come under the judgments of Romans 1, we must follow the prescription, the mandate, the commission of Romans 1. And that is the proclamation of the truth of the gospel by which sinners can be saved from divine judgment. I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written but the righteous man shall live by faith. Though the things of the Spirit are foolishness to the natural man, 1 Corinthians 2.14, and though the natural man suppresses the truth in unrighteousness, Romans 1.18, nevertheless, God still opens the blinded minds of the unbelieving and shines the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ into their hearts. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, and 6. And he does that by the proclamation of the very word of truth that the unbeliever so hard-heartedly rejects. Faith comes not by philosophical speculation, nor by cantankerous bickering, but by hearing the message concerning Christ. And so my plea to you at the outset of 2023 is do not retreat from the chaos of this culture, Christian. March right into it. Engage. Have conversations. Answer the hard questions. People reject this stuff because they think there's no good answer because by and large, those who call themselves Christians are unequipped to give the answers. So that's what this morning was about. With gentleness and reverence, give the Bible's answers to the lies of this age. Be salt and light. Proclaim the truth, the truth of God, the truth of God's word, the truth of his gospel. Let's pray. Father, we long to be people of the truth who can do nothing against the truth but only for the truth. We want that written over our lives. We want that to be our epitaph. We could do nothing against the truth. And before we look outward and see the implications of that for our life in the world, we look inward and we recognize even such a claim, even such a, a, a statement for oneself, for we can do nothing against the truth. It, it strikes a chord of conviction in our hearts because we see that every time we sin, we act against the truth, don't we? We act against the truth that we know that has been revealed in our hearts. We act against the truth who is Christ dwelling within our hearts. We act against the spirit of truth who bears fruit. And we, we, we confess that and we repent of it. We acknowledge our guilt. And yet we pray, Father, make us people of the truth in wholeness and integrity. 
Make it so that we can do nothing against the truth but only for it. And once having turned inward and sought to rid from ourselves by your grace inconsistencies and hypocrisies, we pray then we would go from our prayer closets into this corrupt and dying world to testify of the truth. Not because we have delusions of grandeur that we think will win the culture and take back the country and Christianize America and the world. No, simply because you tell us to and because we are the outpost of the kingdom of God in this dark place on a journey to our, the country of our citizenship, which we long to lay hold of before long. And on that way, as we, as we declare the truth, there are more of those sheep that Christ has purchased who will come into the fold through the faithful ministry of those already sheep speaking the shepherd's voice and silencing the lies of the thieves and robbers. And, O oh Lord, would you make grace life and grace church such sheep? Would you make us such proclaimers and testifiers of the truth? Would you make us a preserving influence in the rotting corpse of this culture, even in the blocks that surround us? Would you press it on the hearts of your people to go door to door with our outreach team, to go to the abortion clinic, to go to the halfway house, to go to do outreach ministry in whatever way, or if, if not a, a normal outreach or a, a, an official outreach ministry, like just the regular day-to-day -day engagement with one's neighbors, family, friends. Help us to stop being afraid of those who lie just because they're really convinced of their lies and will shout at us if we contradict them. Let us be faithful and as, at the very least, as unashamed, but more unashamed to speak the truth than the liars are ashamed to speak the lies. We want Christ's glory. That's what we exist for. We exist to exalt his name, to see that Jesus get what he is worthy of in all things so long as we have anything to say about it. We can only do it by your grace. We pray for that grace to empower us. And we ask that you would honor your own name in us. For Christ's sake, amen. For more information about the ministry of the Grace Life Pulpit, visit at www.thegracelifepulpit.com. Copyright by the Grace Life Pulpit, all rights reserved.